0: This morning we have the opportunity to start a new series, which is the seven deadly sins, and I want I want to point out something because I, you know this is the attention to detail that that we see so much here. The red background here. It, on the wall, that's the media team back there. So they, they saw we were doing the seven deadly sins and made it red. It's just the little things, you know, that um, we should celebrate too. But this series, of seven deadly sins, you know, you may have heard uh, of these before. You may have seen the movie, which is the worst movie ever. Don't watch it if you haven't seen it um, with Brad Pitt. But uh, this actually comes from the fifth century. This This is a thousand-year-old list of seven deadly sins, a collection of destructive sins. And so we're going to talk about uh, what these are, but I want to talk about more foundationally what sin is, because we talk a lot about sin, uh, but we don't define it all the time. And so we're going to define it just so we're all on the same page this morning. A sin most simply is going our own way instead of God's way. Okay, that's, that's the most simple definition of what a sin is. It's choosing our own way instead of God's way. We, you think back to Adam and Eve, right, in the Garden of Eden. They chose their own way instead of God's way. But sin is so much deeper and more complex than just that. So we're, we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about what it is. It, you know, generations before us viewed sin not as just kind of breaking God's rules, or disappointing God, but they viewed it as a destructive lifestyle of habits and choices. That if if you go down that path, you're literally going to ruin your life. I mean, we today have kind of normalized sin in our society. We even celebrate Las Vegas, right? All that you know—that's Sin City, right? We celebrate that. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's not true at all. If you didn't know, but. Um, but sin is, is a big, big deal, and we minimize it so much in our society. And the, the reason why we minimize it is because it's, you know, sin is enticing. It's fun. We wouldn't do it if it weren't fun and enticing, right? And if it's not fun and enticing, you're not sinning, right? Right. Um, That was supposed to be a joke, Uh, sorry, sorry. But sin can be attractive, it draws draws us to it, because what sin does is it takes good things and it distorts them and perverts them. So what we think it's going to do, what we think it's going to bring us, it actually doesn't deliver on that long term. And sin isolates us. Sin isolates us. If anyone is ever caught up in a sin, in a lifestyle, in these destructive habits, they often pull themselves away from community, from people. You see, we were designed, we were created, even if you're the introvert of all introverts, for some relationships in your life. You were created for that because you're created in the image of God, and God is a relational being. But when you're sin, when you're living in sin... You, you pull yourself away from relationships. You push those who love you and who care about you away from yourself. This is what sin does. And this ultimately what we need to understand about sin is that the solution to our sin, the fix for our sin, begins with God and ends with God. God. The solution is not up to us pulling up our bootstraps and being a good person and doing good things because for every good thing you do, you're going to do something bad. And so if you're weighing the scales, we're, always, we're never going to do enough good things to weigh, outweigh the bad things. And this is what we're going to find out in this series as we look through uh, this, these seven deadly sins. So here's the list. we got pride, envy, gluttony, greed, sloth, and lust. And I'm not going to tell you what order we're going to go in so that you uh, mark not to come that week. (laughs) But this morning, we're going to talk through, I think, one of the fundamental foundational uh, sins, which is pride. We're going to talk about pride this morning. And really, what we're going to see is that at a certain level, all of these sins affect us. Maybe some more than others, but they all have an effect on our lives. And at a certain level... I hope if, you, if you're a Christian that your sin bothers you. I hope that you're bothered by your sin, that you're not just justifying and like, like the world does with sin, that you're bothered by it and you want to find out something to do with it. So we're going to look at how to overcome pride this morning. And we're going to do that by looking to the Bible and pulling out three foundational truths, okay? This is the first one. It's that pride is a false pathway to self-worth pride is a false pathway to self-worth, making it something we try to build on the basis of our own goodness. Now, I want to be 100% honest with you this morning, 100% transparent. This is kind of embarrassing to admit, but I think I'm better than a lot of you. Like, really, I do. I think I'm better than you. Like, when I'm driving on the road, I think I'm in the top 10% of drivers, right? I, I'm, everyone else is lower. I don't care where you guys are, but I know that I'm in the top 10%. Um, you know, when I, when I go to the store and I see, you know, what people are buying at the store, at my grocery store, uh, cart looks better than yours it's more it has more healthy food it has you know so I'm judging you I'm, I'm 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 making better choices than you are you know when I go for a run and I run past McDonald's and I see that big old line I'm like can't believe all these people putting this garbage into their bodies why why aren't they on a run like me and then later when I'm in line at McDonald's to get some food <laughs> I'm judging the runner going by because I already ran so I've earned this I've deserved this, right? I hope you know that I'm, I'm joking. But I do think that. I think all of us do at a certain point. We, we, we think that, oh, I'm better than this person because of this, because of this. Because we want to build our self-worth on the basis of our own goodness. You see, it, it seems that pride is that road to self-worth, but, it, but it's actually not. You see, the dilemma is that self-worth is a good thing, Self-worth is a good thing. It's okay to say that. And confidence, that's a good thing. As opposed to selfishness and arrogance. But when we try to build our self-worth by our own acts, by our own deeds, with our own volition. You know, I'm talented at this. Um, I, I, I'm, I have this accolade. I have this experience. I have these credentials. I have this status. My family, right? We're proud of our family. We're proud of our kids. See, the problem with all of those things is all those things can fail us. All of those things can fail us. Like if you're proud of your kid and then they make a dumb decision, that hurts our pride because we put our pride in them. When we have a talent that we maybe lose, that hurts our pride because our pride was in our own accolades. Our circumstances, they change. This is what Proverbs said. When you look up pride in the Bible, you're probably going to come to this first. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Now, this word pride, it could be translated arrogance. And this word haughtiness, um, we use in our everyday language, right? We always use that word. You probably don't use that word ever. But that means to exalt yourself, to exalt yourself. So when you're arrogant, that's going to lead to destruction. When you exalt yourself, that's what's going to happen right before you fall off the pedestal that you put yourself on. And when we think of this, um, biblically speaking, often I think of David and Goliath, right? David and Goliath is the, is the perfect story that describes pride goes before destruction. Because you have, you have Goliath, this giant, and, and you have David, this youngest of his brothers, and this small guy, right? Like Goliath, for Goliath, victory was assured, there was no doubt. He's taunting David. He's saying, David, why, why would you send this before me? And then as you see how the story plays out, where David picks up the stone, throws it, hits Goliath, Goliath falls, David kills Goliath. I mean, imagine the switch that's flipped in that moment for all the Philistines who are like, yes, our giant's going to kill this guy, and then David kills Goliath, right? They, you would be terrified, Pride goes before destruction. Arrogance goes before destruction. And we probably all have a story um, like this. For me, it was when I was in high school. And, I, and I'm a boy, and I was in high school, and I'm pretty sure every high school boy thinks they're the biggest deal in the world, right? Like we have pride like up the wazoo. But I, I ran track, and... Um, I was on the 4x4 team, it's a relay team where you run one lap around the track and you hand off the baton, and we had not lost a race the entire year, in the whole state. We, we won every single race, we had beat every single school, we won region and then we get to state and like we're walking in there like to the state meet down at BYU and we're like yeah, we are who we are, right? Like we're thinking everyone's looking at us, no one was looking at us by the way, but we thought they were. But well, we get there, we go through the prelims, we win the prelims, we have the best time, and then we get to the, to the final. And we end up losing by one-tenth of a second in the end. And I just remember watching Bountiful High School get the, get the first place award and sitting there in a chair and just being absolutely, completely devastated. Because I was like, how did this happen? I was so assured. I I was so confident that this was going to happen. You see, I had built up my pride through my personal talents and accolades. And ultimately, that led to my fall, to the destruction. Now, this is kind of a funny example, right? We all have things like that. But this can happen to us spiritually. And this is really dangerous. You see, Jesus, it was so dangerous that Jesus told the story about it. It says in Luke 18, 9 and 10, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. So prideful people. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. So we see the story. There's two characters, right? You have the Pharisee who's this religious elite and then you have this tax collector who is despised. He's the lowest of the low in that culture. And then this, it goes on to say this. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like the other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. So you can, you can already see right here this, this guy is just totally full of himself. He's better than everyone else. He's totally into this outward reputation that he has, that he's better than everyone else. You see, at the heart of pride is competition. If you look at this, he, he's comparing himself to other people. He's looking around in the temple and saying, oh, I'm better than all these people, especially that guy over there, that tax collector over there. I'm better than them. I'm so much more worthy than them. I I have more faith in them. I give more than them. I fast more than them. Just total pride, total arrogance. And he says that he's he's not like these other people. He's not a sinner. He's not a sinner. And this is how being religious causes pride to creep in our lives. We, We do these good things, and it starts to become up here in our heads, and we think we're better than people. This is why Jesus said, you know, when you are giving to someone, when you're serving someone, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Why would Jesus say that? Well, because Jesus understood our propensity to develop pride, to think that we're the big deal. We have all the answers. We're holier than everyone else. You know, what kind of things do we say today? Today? I come to church more than them. I serve more than them. I read my Bible more than them. My prayers sound better than theirs, right? They're stumbling over their words and I'm eloquent. When we're singing these worship songs, I can sing harmony and I can sing louder than everyone else, right? This list was unfortunately too easy for me to come up with because I fought those things. Like, that's embarrassing to admit, but, like, I have literally thought those things. Why have I thought those things? Well, because I'm full of pride. I'm full of myself. Why, why am I that? Because I'm insecure. And so I try to tear others down to make myself feel better. Now, I have the emotional intelligence not to let you know that to your face, some people don't, unfortunately, and they, they aren't afraid to let you know that they're better. But really, it's the same, right? It's the same attitude. Whether I tell you or not, I think I'm better than you. I think I'm holier than you. And sadly, the end of this, ultimately, is loneliness, is isolation. Because if you're better than everyone else, you don't need anyone else. Right? You got it all together. You don't need anyone's help. And if, if you're Around those types of people, you don't want to be near those people because they're just telling you how much better they are than you all the time and reminding you of that and judging you of every little decision you make. And so we need to have the opposite of pride, which you could probably guess it, is humility. And this means being secure in our standing with God on the basis of Christ's goodness alone, not our own goodness. On Christ's goodness. You see, pride, the, the false pathway to pride, as we just said, is trying to do it on our own, by our own acts and our own talents. The opposite of that is being secure in who we are because of who made us and Christ who died for us because of his goodness alone. You know, I was watching something as I was preparing for this sermon. It was just such a good picture of just how much we as humans struggle with humility. It was this person on the street interviewing people about these news stories. But the thing is, is these news stories were made up. They, they said, hey, what do you think of this made up story? And the, no one said, oh, I, I hadn't heard that. I didn't know that happened. But instead what they did is they said, oh, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that that person did that. And, and then some people would like even embellish on these fake stories. And I'm just sitting there laughing first. And then the laughter slowly went away and it, it became more real that it's like people are so egotistical and prideful, they can't even say that they don't know. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Right? We want to be in the know. We, we want to, we, if we feel like if we're not in the know, you know, our pride goes down and in a sense it kind of does. But for these people embarrassing themselves on national TV, now we all know that the stories are fake and everything like that. And it's just, that's how we are. We just want to show everyone that we know that we're in control by our own goodness, by our own thoughts and intelligence. Let's jump back into this story that we're looking at, that Jesus, as he finishes up, he says, But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, Be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. You see the difference here. The Pharisee said, I'm not like these people. I'm not like a sinner. And you know what? The tax collector agrees with him. He is a sinner. He has made mistakes. But while the Pharisee is so focused on this outward uh, things that he does, he cares about what people think, this tax collector can't even lift his eyes toward anyone. The Pharisee's looking around the place measuring everyone up against himself. This tax collector goes in there broken, admits that he's messed up, asks for God's mercy, admits that he's a sinner in need of God's grace. You know, he knows he's not better than people. He knows how broken he is. If you know anything about tax collectors in the first century, it was like the most crooked, uh, thing that you could do. A lot of them cheated people out of money. If the tax was this, they would tell them it was this so that they could keep the difference, right? Like they, they were not great people. And this guy knows it. He, and he's not afraid to admit that he doesn't have, have it all together. And ultimately, as the story comes to an end, Jesus says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, this word justified, it means made innocent. It means that that the tax collector who was broken, who was admittedly a sinner, who didn't have it all together, went home innocent, whereas the Pharisee didn't. And for a lot of us, this just doesn't make sense. The Pharisee's the one who did all these good things and gave all this money and gave all of his time and, and everything like that. Yet the person who, who was a screw-up, who cheated people over and over and over again, goes home innocent? That doesn't make sense to us. But Jesus says this at the end. He says, those who um, humble themselves will be exalted. Those who don't will be humbled. This is, again, the upside-down kingdom that Jesus preaches about so much that doesn't make sense to us. And there's an important lesson to learn from this. And it's this. In regards to our salvation, to being saved, there's nothing that you or I can do to fix our relationship with God. There's nothing that we can do. Nothing. See, this Pharisee thought that he could earn his way towards God's favor and love and care. The tax collector understood that he couldn't, that his sin was too great, even though their, their sin was probably pretty equal if we were you know, comparing the two. But it's only those who can admit that they don't have the power or the ability to save themselves that will be saved. This is what Paul said in Ephesians. If you're a Christian, memorize this verse. It's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. What a great verse. This Pharisee who is trying to earn his way toward God's love, toward God's favor, could never do enough. Because what this verse doesn't say is God saved you by your effort and your works, it says, he saved you by his grace. He, you have nothing to do with it. Because see, Christ dying on the cross is a gift. That grace that we receive is a gift. And our ability to receive it is even a gift. So there's literally nothing that we can take credit for. It's totally what God did, taking care of our sin and our shame and our brokenness. And this is why we have these shirts. Sinners, welcome. Welcome right? Because if you can't admit that you're a sinner, that you don't have it all together, then really you don't have the humility that it's going to take to have a relationship with God. Because if you're any part of it, you're minimizing the work of Christ on the cross. You're earning God's favor, which you could never begin to do. And that's why sinners are welcome here. I say it, no perfect people allowed. Because if you think you're perfect, this this isn't for you. You don't need this. The Pharisee wouldn't need this. He's already holy enough in his own mind, right? Like obviously he's not, but he thinks he is. So this all comes down to humility. And how this plays out in real life when it comes to pride is that the antidote to pride, which is humility, is not self-hatred, but self-sacrifice. It's looking outward to find someone to serve. You see, the goal of this, sermon. The goal of this whole series is not to make you feel bad. It's not to make you uh, wallow in your sin. Your sin can be forgiven. But it's rather to uh, point you to the solution, which is Jesus. You see, it's not in what you do that makes you worthy. It's in who you are. And more importantly and specifically, it's in whose you are. If you belong to Jesus, that's enough it doesn't, you don't have to do anything else in your life. And it's easy to look at this tax collector and say, well, he, he didn't like himself. He hated himself. We have to hate ourselves. Well, no, we hate our sin in our lives. That's where I said our sin should bother us. But, but you and I were created in God's image. You know what that means? That, that no other thing created by God was made in his image. So you are unique You are uniquely loved. You are uniquely cared for in a way that nothing else in this world is. It doesn't mean you have to look down on yourself, but you need to realize who made you unique and who loves you. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis that talks about what humility is. Because humility is thinking less about yourself, not thinking less of yourself. And this is where the self-assuredness comes in, this self-worth. Everyone has self-worth because God made you. It's not because of you. And and that doesn't mean that you don't think of yourself or care about yourself or love yourself. You should do all of those things. But, But ultimately, and we see this in the life of Jesus, that humility is about looking beyond yourself and looking to how you can love and care for others. This is what Jesus said. In John 13, 3 through 5, he said, or it says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now, you're like, wait, what? What? Read that again. It says Jesus has authority over everything. Jesus came from God and would return to God. In another way, that's saying Jesus is fully God. So Jesus is fully God, has ultimate power, ultimate authority. So he washes the disciples' feet That doesn't make sense, right? I mean, right? Like we would think that, so Jesus sat on his throne and ruled with an iron scepter because he was worthy, right? That's what we would think it would say. But it goes on to say, no, Jesus got down and washed people's feet. And honestly, feet are disgusting, okay? Can we just agree on that? Feet are gross. But first century feet were even worse, okay? Because you're walking around in sandals. You're walking through dirt, through mud, through straw, through sewage, you name it. So when you come into the house and someone cleans your feet, they're cleaning some pretty gross stuff off your feet. And this is what Jesus does. He has all authority. He has all power over everything. And I love that word, so. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, and he lowered himself to the lowliest servant position possible by cleaning his disciples' feet. You know, if anyone had a right to be prideful, I'll be honest, it was Jesus. If anyone would have been justified to be prideful, it was Jesus. He could have done that. Yet we see all throughout the story and life of Jesus that he was constantly serving and loving others, putting others above himself. That's who Jesus is. And then what makes this even more powerful, this verse, I love this because think about who the disciples were. You got Peter, you got James, you got John. You know, those are all good guys. But then who else do you have? You have Judas Iscariot. You know what Judas would go on to do is he would go on to betray and have Jesus killed. And even Jesus, knowing that Judas was going to do this, got down and cleaned Judas' feet. I mean, isn't that just such a powerful image of what true service looks like, even those people who don't deserve it. And if you're like me, Judas did not deserve it. But Christ did it anyway. Right after this, Judas would go and betray Christ, ultimately leading to his death on the cross. And this is why Jesus said, you know, it's easy to love people who love you. It's easy to serve people who you love. But we're called to serve everyone, even those who are difficult in our lives because this is what Jesus did. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've put your trust and your faith in the finished work of the cross, you are a servant. It's not you, you cannot be a Christian and not be a servant. Like the two are the one and the same because what it means to be a Christian is to be a follower of Christ. And Christ, when you look at his life, constantly served. He even said he came to serve people, not to be served. And so if you're a Christian and, and you're letting pride get a hold of you, say, no, I don't need to do anything. I don't, I don't need to serve. I don't need to put myself out there and make myself uncomfortable. I, that, that's not being a Christian. Just plain and simple, because Christ served. If you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, therefore you serve. And this isn't just at church. Church. This is in our lives, right? We, we, look, we look at people not as obstacles or not as, you know, when you're on, when you're on the road, which again, this is me, uh, yelling at people because they're on the road. Why can't everyone be home now so I could get here faster, right? Like people aren't obstacles. People, just like you and me, are made in the image of God and are to be loved and cared for. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. And so we're called to serve other people. You know, as, as, as I get older, I just come back to one truth. I just, I just want to be more like Jesus. Get all the theology and all of the, you know, complex things out of the way. I just want to be more like Jesus. I want my life to look more like Jesus's life. And that means getting outside of your pride, being humble, serving people, loving people, even when it's difficult, because that's the way that we're going to overcome pride. Let's pray together. God, I just thank you so much, Lord, for your grace and your mercy in our lives. God, even when we have these thoughts of superiority or arrogance or whatever it is, God, whatever sinful thoughts we have, Lord, you, you know us perfectly. God, you have grace that's, that's so more, so much more than we could ever understand or ask for. And it's way more than we deserve. God, we deserve to pay for our sin, yet you sent Jesus to do that on the cross. And for that, we thank you. We thank you for doing what we couldn't do, what was impossible for us to do, because God, everything through you is possible. And I pray, God, that if there's people out here who are struggling with sin in their lives, God, struggling how they view people, I know I do often, Lord. I just pray that you would help me to see, God, first and foremost, what you've done for me through your son on the cross. God, who I am in light of that, and that God, that would lead me to love others in my life, that I would shine your light, not exalt myself, but that I would exalt you. God, I pray for anyone in here who hasn't experienced that love and that grace and that mercy that you freely give, live up to a certain standard that they would stop comparing themselves to others God because that's not what it's about it's about what you've done God so we thank you for the cross we thank you for Christ I pray that as we go from here that our lives would be a reflection of who you were of servanthood of selflessness and of love I pray these things in Jesus name